you know, wanting to be prepared, you know, wanting to be ready, wanting to have clean food, because I 100% believe that having clean food um, makes a difference to how well we are as people and whether or not we need to consume, you know, a bucket load of drugs to, you know, because I've got a headache or I've got this or I've got that. I 100% believe that food is a huge contributor um, sure. to the point that yeah. I actually did, I did my own experiment on myself um, testing this theory. So I, I found out like sort of six plus years ago that I was uh, a non-celiac gluten sensitive, which basically means I wasn't a celiac, but I couldn't have foods that had gluten in it. And sure. so I, t I went, okay, I'll just have gluten-free food. That's fine. But that didn't make anything better. I was still unwell. And then I saw this video, this Italian doctor, and he said, women travel from, you know, North America, from Australia, from New Zealand, and they go to Europe and they eat bread and they eat pasta and nothing happens. Nothing happens. They're fine. They're totally fine. And then they go back to their Western country and try and eat the same thing and they become unwell. And he, he rattled off a bunch of mm. different things, but he basically he said, I think this is because of um, the way that the wheat, for example, is prepared afterwards and cleaned. It's cleaned with chemicals. And he's like, I actually think all these people that are non-celiac gluten sensitive are so because of chemicals, not gluten. So I did that test on myself and I'm going back to eating bread now. This is the Farm Hop Life podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRocher. Today, my guest is TJ from Life on Milo's Farm from the land down under, <laughs> Queensland, Australia, yes. where the time is tomorrow. She does canning, <laughs> food preservation, DIY farm projects. She makes sauerkraut, artisan soap, and has a horse called Moose. Yes. I, I watched one of your videos, and you call them a big boof head. I yes. thought that was so funny. That was such a funny nickname for him. Oh, you're just a big boofhead. Yeah, that's the the um that sort of slang word boofhead is is quite commonly used in Australia. It's sort I of like it might um, be. yeah, it's sort of like sort of saying in a very nice way. Maybe you're not that sharp at the moment, or or that kind of thing. So you'll often hear someone say, "Oh, you're a boofhead," you know, and that just means like you're you're being a bit silly, or you're, you're you're a bit daft, so to speak. So sure. yeah, he's. He's definitely a big buffhead. <laughs> it's so much better when you say it than I say it. <laughs> That's because it's just because it, I think it's just a word that we use all the time, right? Like it's probably quite new new for for you to hear that that sort of phrase. But yeah, we sure. use it all the time. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to start with the name of your farm. Um, yeah. I, I don't know exactly how it got its name. I think I have an idea of uh, the name of your farm. So if you could explain that to me, that would be great. Yeah, so um, it actually has taken us a long time to come up with the name for our for our sort of farm and our homestead. And uh, we've been homesteading for quite a long time, probably uh, close to 15 years, I'd say. Um, nice. And initially when we started, the, the property that we lived in was a decommissioned um, military cottage from the local army base. Mm. And so, and, and at the time that we lived there, my dad came and built this, really sort of not a typical sort of farm fence. He built sort of this um, fence that you'd see sort of more around, you know, like uh, big establishments. And so we nicknamed it the compound and we were like, that doesn't work. That sounds really bad. <laughs> and then we moved from that property and, and we stayed in this homestead and it just, we just couldn't pick a name, like nothing flowed for us or 
type of homestead we had or um, even our background and that kind of thing. So um, the, the name uh, Milo's Farm uh, came because our dog passed away a couple of years ago and he had a genetic heart condition called dilated cardiomyopathy, which we didn't know about. Um, and and we've now found out it's quite prevalent because uh, because we have Doberman, so we found out it's quite prevalent mm. in the Doberman breed, um, which which is news to me because I've had Dobermans my whole life and I never ever uh, lost one from from DCM, and it's basically um, like quite you know quite devastating because the dog can cannot even feel that they're unwell, but they're not allowed to run, they're not allowed to do all these things because they've got an enlarged heart and it doesn't beat properly and all this kind of thing. So when he passed away, to sort of pay homage to him, we said, we'll call it Milo's Farm. Um, and that's why we've called it Life on Milo's Farm because because um, we cremated him. So whenever we uh, plan on moving, which which we've been <laughs> we've been planning on moving for the last five years, but uh, when we plan on moving to our bigger property, then we can carry that name with us because we'll carry him with us all the time as well. Um, sure. So that's where the name came from, Life on Milo's Farm, because it's his farm, and wherever we are is wherever he's going to be with us. So I like that a lot. That's very nice, yeah. and not just because my. <laughs> I did, did notice you? on your on your finger that it said, um, you know, uh, homesteaders, and then Milo, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to ask him who Milo is. <laughs> yep, that's my son. Yeah, yeah. Yep, he's not not quite two yet, almost. Almost but, there. Um, so, so it's Mother's Day here in Australia. So happy Mother's Day to your to your wife partner. Um, yes, thank because, you. Yes, yes. I don't know if it's the same in in the in the US. Tomorrow. Yep. Tomorrow. Well, well, oh, I'm living in the future, remember? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. What's yeah. funny about that that people don't know how like time zones work is I remember I don't know if it was just like trolling, but years ago I saw someone like tweet out, you know, did you know that like Australians or the Japanese or whoever or like a whole day ahead of us? Couldn't they like have warned us about 9-11? <laughs> Unfortunately not. It kind of happened at the same time. <laughs> yeah, weird. Actually, they find out the next day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's bizarre. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just um, Did you also get uh, your uh, your tattoo? Um, do you have yes. a tattoo of Milo's uh, dog uh, paw print? Yep. I don't know if Very you can nice. see it there. Um, that's awesome. So that's his actual paw print when he was... Um, like just after his diagnosis, so he was still pretty healthy and, and that kind of thing. We got just a huge piece of butcher paper and some paint and made him step in the paint and then walk all over the butcher paper. So we had some, um, you know, full paw prints, some half paw prints. Um, and this one happened to be the the one that looked the best. This is the actual size of his paw. He he was like, That's so crazy. Um, it's huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's massive. So it takes up quite a lot of real estate on this part of my skin. But yes, that is that is an in memoriam to him. Uh, so I keep him everywhere with me when I go. That's awesome. Like that. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you said you and your husband have been homesteading for about 15 years already. Yeah. How did you get yeah. started homesteading? <laughs> I, I think it's kind of twofold. So it's a little bit, um, I think it missed a generation. So my parents are first generation uh, sorry, I'm first generation Australian. My parents are migrants from Eastern Europe and my okay. grandparents lived that life. You know, so my grandparents right. lived in a village and they had farm animals and a garden and, you know, they had all, that. that's how they sort of had to live, like that very rural lifestyle. And then my parents moved to Australia. 
and suddenly everything became convenience because, you know, you could just click a few buttons or go down to the store and you can get everything. So my parents did a little bit of that, not as much. And then they started sort of moving out towards not doing um, sort of those traditional skills, I suppose you could say. And right. I think that that was always something that was just uh, inside, you know, for both of us, something that drove both of us. So when we moved to Queensland, because we're originally from Victoria, which is in the south, uh, when we moved to Queensland, um, we straight away bought sort of after after about a year or so, we bought our first property, which was a four acre homestead. And we were like, yeah, we're going to do this, you know, well, let's give this a go. And so that's how we started. So it was a little bit of um, it's not like, you know, typical sort of, you know, that farming was in our blood or anything like that. I definitely think like that concept of homesteading, more of that self-sufficiency and that kind of lifestyle and doing things for yourself, um, that was something that was more uh, within us. Sure. And we just started slowly. Like we didn't, we, it's not like we knew, you know, we didn't come into doing it knowing what we were doing. So it was a little bit of trial and error sometimes and, um, you know, learning about, you know, because the environment is totally different between, the, you know, Victoria and Queensland as well. The weather's totally different. The critters are totally different. The, the snakes are totally different, you know, and that kind of thing. So um, it was just a huge uh, learning curve, but we loved it. And we were able to move on to the property and, um, sort of start going back to that basics, like back to what our grandparents and um, had done, you know, when they were overseas and, and sort of that's when we, then I started getting into like canning and, and making like the sauerkrauts and this, that, and, and you know, yeah. doing breads and cheeses and, and that kind of thing. So um, it was sort of like a little bit of that, um, something that we always felt was inside that we wanted to do and something that was also part of our upbringing because obviously we, you know, we would have been spending time with our grandparents and raised by our grandparents at different points in time. So it's not like we were not exposed to that kind of stuff. And that's basically how we started. Was there, did you, so did you, was it like a slow kind of entry into it or was there like something happened where like, I want to grow more of my own food because blank. Um, I don't think so. I think it was, I think we've always just been a little bit, um, I suppose, I suppose you could say different. You know, like we never really, even when we lived in a suburban property and lived closer to things, we still maintained that same way of doing things. You know, like if I wouldn't go to the store every single day to, to buy something, you know, I'd sort of be like, okay, well, I don't want to go for a month. So I'm going to make sure I stockpile. I'm going to make sure I have all this stuff. And sure. generally, like, you know, we, we've never had anything like that to trigger the need to do that. It was actually probably when we moved onto the homestead because this is a subtropical climate. So we have um, wet seasons in the summer. And I, I thanked my lucky stars that I was, my husband calls me a prepper, but I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a prepper in that sense. But uh, he was away, he was working in the mines at the time and we had mm. a flood and I got flooded in. I was there by myself and no one was there. Like, no, my husband wasn't there. My parents still live in Victoria. So my, it's not like my dad could come and help no family up here and I was it was a major flood it was huge I mean it was everywhere there was roads were cut off flood waters that were usually you know creeks and streams that were like one to two meters um, high were sort of 16 meters high you know they were flooding over roads uh, bridges that were not supposed to flood were being flooded and I was left home with no power wow. no nothing so like we at even at this property and, and our other homestead, we were only connected um, to electricity. So our water, sewerage, and a grease trap were all 
um, you know, on on the property. So suddenly I was left, I was there by myself, and this was within the first six months of moving into that property, and I was like, crap, what am I going to do? I've got no electricity. I've got no running water. I have I can't charge my phone. You know, what am I going to do? So um, that sort of proved to me how resilient you can be when you have to be. Like I would go and turn the car sure. on and put my phone charger in and charge my phone just so I had, you know, something for emergencies. And um, what actually happened was the the electricity pole had gone down in front of my property. So there was live wire in my property. I couldn't go out. We were flooded. The whole property was flooded. There was I couldn't even even if I wanted to get out, I couldn't get out. So I was basically just eating canned goods and noodles and that kind of stuff. And I was I was basically because see, so we have a water pump connected to water tanks, but I couldn't use the water tanks because the water pump was driven by electricity, not solar. So right. I was basically putting putting a you know like a container out to catch the rainwater you know, to boil water, to make noodles or to make pasta or whatever it might have been. And so um, probably that was the time I went, yeah, thank goodness you are a bit of a prepper stockpiler person because, oh yeah, you know, you, you just survived, you know, four or five days with no running water, no bathroom facilities, no electricity, and you're fine. You know, you didn't go hungry. You didn't, nothing happened to you. You know, you're totally fine. So um, that, that is just, wild. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it's also probably scarier when you're doing it by yourself. Like, I think it's different if my husband was there, then I'd have a little bit more confidence because then he could do sure. something and I could do something. But in this particular scenario, I couldn't even call anybody. Like, I couldn't, the police and the SES, it's called the SES, they're called the State Emergency Service, and they basically run by volunteers. But anytime there's a, um, you know, like a tree down over the road or someone needs to be rescued, the SES come and, and help so the SES right. couldn't get to me, the fire brigade couldn't get to me, the police couldn't get to me, nobody could get to me. <laughs> and it wasn't just me, it was it was everyone that lived in that area. So that sort of just cemented to me, um, like having to be ready and having to be prepared because, you know, you never know what could happen at any given time. Um, and I've just continued to live that way and continue to be prepared in that way. Yeah, that's smart. It's, yeah. why does it seem like that, Australia is like the land of extremes. Like it's either way too hot or it's flooded or they got like poisonous, everything venomous, everything. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's, it just seems crazy to me that it's such like the, everything's just out to kill you. Yeah. And I, I, I have had quite a lot of that come from people and they say, how do you, how do you do it? And like you've just got to have your wits about you, you know, like you've just got to be careful. You've you've got to always make sure, you know, you don't walk around, you know, in your in your sandals. Make sure you've got boots on and, and that you've got thick pants on. So if a snake does come and bite you, make sure you've got multiple kits around. Make sure you've got a shovel because you, maybe you won't be able to run off into your gun safe to get your gun. So you're going to need a shovel to kill a snake, you know, different things like that. So I suppose it's it's being aware of the threat and the multiple threats that could happen. And preparing for all of that, you know, whether it's having extra sand for sandbagging for flooding or whether it's having a particular paddock or pasture in, on your property that's slightly higher ground so you can move things to that higher ground, you know, maybe having a shed or something that's slightly away from the rest of the house so that if, you know, a disaster is coming, you've got right. a stockpile of things, you know. So, and I think that that's, I mean, it's probably like this, you know, in, in the States as well, but I suppose that when you live in those kinds of areas, um, you just get used to understanding what 
what the issues are and, and just being prepared for them, so to speak, you know. So same as, you know, I mean, what's a scary snake in America? Like a rattlesnake, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I suppose people that live in areas where there's lots of rattlesnakes, they would have particular plans and know what to do. And True. Um, so, same as here, you know, like it's sort of if, if it's a solid colour snake, probably best not to touch it. <laughs> if it's a diamond coloured snake, maybe that's okay to touch. You know, if it's a spider and it's small, it's probably dangerous, not the big, fat, hairy ones. They're not, they're actually good for, for you know, eating bugs and that kind of thing. So right. I think it's just a matter of understanding your threats and understanding your environment and not being scared because being scared is where you make mistakes and get yourself into strife. So Yeah, and the best way to not yeah. be scared is to be prepared, I guess. To be prepared. So maybe I am a bit of a prepper. My husband says, you're such a – and I'm like, There's... no, I'm a stockpiler. I'm a stockpiler. <laughs> That's not a dirty word from the uh, <laughs> like the groups that I am that I'm a part of. Like prepping's not a bad word. It just means yeah. that I want to keep living and correct, correct. So I don't want like the like inconveniences, no matter how minor or major, to pose like a threat on my life or my family's life. So I'm gonna yeah. do like have be certain ready. things in order yeah be ready yeah, yeah and it's so funny you said that because like obviously when all these stuff started happening around the world um my husband said it was probably about a week or two before everything sort of went really pear-shaped and he said are we are we good like are we good do, do we need anything and i just opened this one cupboard and there was like toilet paper and wet wipes and paper towels and you know other things that i couldn't store in the kitchen i was like we're good buddy like we don't we actually don't have to go to the shops for 12 months. And he's like, perfect. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I pride myself on that. That's a good skill to have. <laughs> you should. You should yeah. be proud. 12 months. That's awesome. 12 uh, months, yeah. So that, I mean, you kind of already answered the next question. Like what motivates you to grow your own food? Just wanting to survive. Wanting, wanting to, survive. to be prepared. Wanting to be prepared, wanting to have clean food, you know, wanting to have access to clean mm, food. That's important. My my grandmother is ninety five years old, and she, touch wood, has never ever ever, other than her knee replacement surgery, has never been to the hospital, has never gone to the doctors other than for like maybe you know like a flu or, um, you know, she's got a bit of a migraine or something. Like she doesn't drink. Med- pain medicine she doesn't drink not even paracetamol she she cannot tolerate medicine and mm. i'm convinced i'm convinced that it's all because of food because she cooks the traditional way so she doesn't have anything that's you know tinned or can like in terms of like commercially tinned <laughs> she doesn't use right. um any preservatives or anything like that everything that she has food that's long storage food is food that she's that's come from her garden that she's canned that she's prepared whether it's by pickling or um you know like like sauerkraut doing it that way um mm-hmm. and you know her own milk uh like when we when we first moved to the homestead she was like are you gonna get me a goat and i was like no why she's like i want to milk it to make cheese and milk and i was like well you can do that but i'm not doing i don't have the time <laughs> But yeah, she's hilarious, but she's no kidding. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't give her more than 65. She is amazing. And she is my inspiration because she, her backyard was not like a backyard for kids, you know, where you can run around and play. Her backyard was fruit trees, vegetables, 
you know, seasonal vegetables, whatever was available. And that's that to me was more important than having space to, you know, run around and, and whatever. If you want to run around, you can go to the park that's behind, but grandma's little plot of land had enough food there for all of us. Um, so that's why I grow my own veggies. That's why I like having my own um, access to my own vegetable garden because, you know, it, a bit of everything, a bit of, you know, wanting to be prepared, you know, wanting to be ready, wanting to have clean food because I 100% believe that having clean food um, makes a difference to how well we are as people and whether or not we need to consume, you know, a bucket load of drugs to, you know, because I've got a headache or I've got this or I've got that. I 100% believe that food is a huge contributor um, sure. to the point that yeah. I actually did, I did my own experiment on myself um, testing this theory. So I, I found out like sort of six plus years ago that I was uh, a non-celiac gluten sensitive, which basically means I wasn't a celiac, but I couldn't have foods that had gluten in it. And sure. so I, t I went, okay, I'll just have gluten-free food. That's fine. But that didn't make anything better. I was still unwell. And then I saw this video, this Italian doctor, and he said, women travel from, you know, North America, from Australia, from New Zealand, and they go to Europe and they eat bread and they eat pasta and nothing happens. Nothing happens. They're fine. They're totally fine. And then they go back to their Western country and try and eat the same thing and they become unwell. And he, he rattled off a bunch of mm. different things, but he basically – he said, I think this is because of um, the way that the wheat, for example, is prepared afterwards and cleaned. It's cleaned with chemicals. And he's like, I actually think all these people that are non-celiac gluten sensitive are so because of chemicals, not gluten. So I did that test of myself and I've gone back to eating bread now. And I've gone back to eating um, pasta that That's I make myself. Super interesting wow yeah massive okay. change like i've gone from i couldn't eat you know a, a loaf of bread to now i make my own sourdough which i've always had sourdough starter but i make my own sourdough i make my own fresh egg noodles i just have to use a particular flour so i use french flour um because french france is quite a strict in their regulation of like the chemicals that are sprayed on on crops um and so i started doing that and i can eat that food with no issue so I'm just going to probably in the next few weeks actually get another allergy test done um, at, with an immunologist to double check to make sure it's not doing anything internally. But to me, that proved like it was more of a chemical thing. So if we can remove the chemicals from the food that we eat um, and have it as clean and natural as possible, then I think that overall, all these little ailments that we have and little allergies and this, that and the other that might be impacting our lives, we can potentially get rid of them without needing, you know, other medical interventions. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's kind of sort of why food is so important to me because it's not just a matter of, you know, like I said before, the readiness and all that kind of stuff, but I think our overall longevity and health um, is greatly impacted by that um, and how clean our food is. That's yeah crazy that's pretty cool that you'd like kind of take that upon yourself you know do your like own research and like yeah okay i'm feeling pretty crummy let me try eating cleaner food see what happens and yeah. um, like, wow i feel pretty good and uh just that's 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 pretty sweet yeah so yeah let, so it was a good paper on you <laughs> it was a pretty good experiment and yeah. like yeah. i even went to the doctor and and told him like this is what i've done and you know is it can i keep eating this stuff like it's not impacting me he's like well if you feel fine you know go for it so um you know it just for me just firms up really like the importance of everybody having to have that skill or learning that skill or knowing that skill 
of being able to cook for yourself and rely on your self and your skills. Um, I think that that's really important. Your, your current homestead that you have, mm -hmm. um, what kind of, uh, let's say techniques, practices, or like methods do you have going on there? Like, do you, um, do you run like chickens ahead of like your garden to, uh, like compost it or like mm -hmm. kind of have them scratch until the soil, anything like that? Yeah, yeah, we do. So we have chooks, ducks, and geese currently. Um, we've got our horse. What moose. do you call them? Chooks. Chooks. They're called chooks. chooks? Yeah, yeah. If any, if That's you ever funny. hear an Aussie person say chook, it, it's for a chicken or okay. roast chicken or okay. fresh chicken. <laughs> um, so yeah, we fresh. have chooks, um, uh, geese, and um, ducks, uh, Muscovy ducks. Okay. I love the eggs from Muscovy ducks. I think that they are phenomenal and they're so good in baked goods and, and just generally like they're so healthy for you. Um, so that, that basically that's what we do. We have, we're just changing up the little, their little house at the moment and we're making a chicken okay. tractor for them so we can move them around the property because there's a few spots where we've got some uh, mosquitoes and different things like that, that have, because of the rains that are in, mm -hmm. sort of infesting. Uh, so we want to get the birds out there um but otherwise they they come into the kitchen uh, kitchen the the um, garden and they scratch away we let them go in there for for a couple of days um and then when they're sort of fertilized and done done everything i can go in there and mulch and clean up as as needed uh same with the horse though um all his uh sort of um you know droppings and things i use them in the garden i don't discriminate whether it's fresh or dry I just use it as as is um, and I've never had any issue in the garden in terms of seeds burning or you know the manure being too hot I've sure. uh, never had any of those issues so um, with horse manure specifically with horse manure specifically yeah so we do have uh, down the road one of our neighbors has um, you know quite a lot of cow manure free for us um, and and sometimes I use that uh, we do make our own biochar as well for our property okay. um, so we use biochar basically in everything if whether we're doing the garden or whether we're planting some new trees or shrubs or whatever it might be uh, we have that um, and we kind of have I think it's called paradise paddock I think it's called Paris Paddock. It's basically a rotational system for uh, rotating your horse through uh, different paddocks to make sure that they're not okay. standing in one spot and eating. Uh, but this particular setup, because of the way our property is set up, um, it forces him, like the water stays in one area and it forces him to walk all the way around. Mm. So it encourages him, number one, to have more exercise. Number two, he's out there fertilising <laughs> different areas where he's leaving his, his droppings, but also he's then walking back. Um, so it's it's good for the horse as well in terms of like mental stimulation and getting them to think about different things. You know, like, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I want to drink. I'm going to have to go back. Um, but also helps fertilise the other paddocks and doesn't wear them out too much with him grazing on them um, and then also because I can have him in one space I can have the chooks and ducks and geese in another space um, so that's what we do at the moment um, and we're hoping to eventually as I said we've been wanting to move for quite a few years but once we get onto our bigger property uh, then we'll introduce uh, other livestock you know cows uh, pigs goats that kind of thing um, and get more into being because I, I i don't feel that we're fully sustainable at the at this point in time like we're probably sure. like let's say 80 percent, but i would like to be fully like fully off grid um and fully self-sufficient at some point um and i think that that's probably going to happen in the next couple of years we're sort of starting to work towards that over the that'd next be fantastic 
Yeah. That'd be, yeah I mean, that last closing that like the 80% or whatever, like not that bad, but closing that last 20% gap, that seems like the hardest. I, I agree. And I think it's because especially like, like when you move from, let's say like a suburban area to like a semi-rural or rural area, you try and find, especially when you're transitioning to that life, I feel like you try and find things that make it easier you know so for example both of our properties are they have to be connected to electricity because the electricity poles run past the property it's this stupid thing that that the government says well if electricity runs past your property you have to have an electricity pole and you have to pay for electricity it's dumb but water i think we, we have something our, similar yeah 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 so but water we collect our own rainwater and that's all we use and sewage we oh, have that's not illegal thing. there no 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 no, no. i'm, you I'm can, kidding it's illegal it, <laughs> some, some places here is it really? Uh, I want... Like Oregon, Portland, Oregon, I think it's illegal to collect your own rainwater. So it's funny you say that because I wandered, I, I watch a few uh, American homesteaders and people that like live off grid uh, mm -hmm. on YouTube. And a few of them, like I find it funny. I don't mean to laugh, but they're like, oh, we put these new tanks and we're collecting the water. And, and they get so excited because they're doing this thing. And I'm like, we have we that we do that all the time. Like, but I didn't actually realize that in some states it's not permitted, which I sort of learnt, um, you know, much later. Because <laughs> I was like, why are they getting so excited? You're just collecting water. It's free. It's water. Like, what you know, that's nothing's funny. gonna happen. So, but yeah, so we collect all our own water. Um, we use that's all we use. That's all we drink. That's used in in the toilets, in the shower, like everywhere. And it's super clean. Um, do you have a well or? Do you even bother no. having a well or hooked up no, to city no. water? Is that even an option where you are, city water? It, this particular area that we are, uh, there's, for example, they're building like a new estate and they're trying to make it like premium acreage properties and they're connecting those properties up to town water. But where we are, we're considered the older part of town. We will never get connected to town water. So you okay. do, like if you're in a suburban area, you'll automatically be connected to town water and town sewerage. Uh, but where we are, we're only connected to electricity. So so obviously there's, you've got to um, put a lot more effort into caring for your sewerage tanks and, um, you know, not using harsh chemicals and all that kind of stuff. There's a there's a running joke when a hen dies, when if one of your chooks dies, just lift, <laughs> lift your sewerage and chuck it in there because it'll help decompose and help create good bacteria uh, in your sewerage mm. tanks. So different things like that. Um, is is the way that we have to live out here because we don't we're not connected to other things so 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 that's why i mean going fully off grid to me will be like okay you know we can still just press a button and the light will turn on or we can just press a button and your laptop will turn on or your dishwasher right. will turn on um going fully off grid it'll be different because now it'll be like okay we've got x amount of battery storage or we can only collect you know we can only collect so much sun you know, energy today, that kind of thing. So I think it's a natural progression. Um, and I think it's it requires not only just a physical change in the way you live your life, but I think probably also a little bit of that mental change. You need to be prepared for the fact that if you are completely off grid, you are totally reliant on yourself. And sometimes that can be a little bit daunting because you think, oh, you know, do I have the energy to do this thing today? Do I have the energy to maintain this device? Do I have the energy, you know, to be involved in this thing? So I think that that can make a huge difference as well on how quick you can adopt that lifestyle. Um, but I think that we're ready for it. I think that after all the floods and everything we've been through, <laughs> we've there's been many times where we've we've not had power and we've survived. So I think that we're ready for it. Yeah. Nice. Um, I wanted to 
just come back to a, a comment that you made uh, a little while ago about rotating your your horse around. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very mindful of the of the property, like of the land, to to take care of it in that manner, so that he. Well, I guess a couple of things, like the stimulation for the horse, and then it, you know, so that it's not overgrazed and you know rotating the rotating the paddocks, which just seems to make sense. And I just never thought about it like rotating paddocks for a horse, like for livestock, that makes sense. But I've never thought about it for a horse just because where I'm at in Montana, people just like, they're like lawn ornaments here. Like people don't really like, I know it's so sad. They're just like, I feel like they're, you know, they kind of have the mentality. Well, I live in Montana, so I might as well have a horse. Like, and then they just like never, like do anything with them they're just like out in the pasture yeah all day yeah all night they don't get ridden they don't get yeah yeah they'd be lucky if they got their hooves trimmed kind of yeah and that's quite sad like the my horse is a he's a Clydesdale three-quarter Clydesdale so when I got him number one I got him because I like the breed and I like the style of horse that they are and and he's he's a quarter quarter horse so he's definitely got that like working mentality and breeding in him already but that was my other thing in the background because I thought what happens if we move because we want to move to like a thousand acres right and in my head I was like what happens if we move to a thousand acres and there's no diesel or it takes us an hour to get into town and we can't get diesel for the machine or something happens with the machine a hydraulic hose breaks and we have to order it online because we can't get it anywhere else what are we going to do if we need to pull something or take something so my horse hasn't been broken to to carriage yet in terms of being able to pull something behind him but a friend of mine is is going to be helping me do that with him because eventually i would like to be able to say oh hey we've got a gigantic log to move let's just hook it up to him and drag it along he's a clydesdale he's got the strength to do it you know what i mean so I think that when you move to a homestead or when you start sort of that homesteading life in earnest and you're doing it all the time, I think you need to be a little bit more resourceful with everything that you have. Like you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to have this horse and I'm just going to ride him or I'm going to have like what you said, a paddock ornament. You know, what good does that do you? You know, if something happens or if you have a weather event and something goes wrong, you know, and, and you now have this animal that's reliant on you that cannot do anything else, and cannot think, not that animals can think for themselves, but do you know what I mean? Like that they that they're not exposed to other things, so that you can, you don't have to think. Oh my God, how much this horse has never been touched rain, he's going to freak out, or you know, has never been out of his own paddock, so he's not going to know about the sounds of trucks and machines and stuff. He's going to be terrified. Right. And I think just as much as we have to be resilient, our animals have to be resilient and desensitized and all that kind of thing to the lifestyle that we live. So I don't want my horse to just be this. Yeah, he's beautiful and I love riding him and all that kind of stuff. But I I want, if shit hit the fan, to put the words nicely, I want to be able to turn around and say, okay, I can use that horse for something. He can help pull a log. He can help hold on to something. He can help, sure. you know, in some way. And I think that's why it's also important in 
getting that exposure to him in moving him around the property and um, you know getting him to other areas within the property and help getting him to learn about as well you know okay now you're in this paddock and you're going to be really far away from us now you're in this paddock you're going to be a little bit closer to us now you're in this paddock on this side that there's a road there there's going to be trucks going past or whatever it might be um, so it's it's I think it's multifold. You know what I mean? You can't just. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can you can just have a horse and just ride it, and, and that's all you do with it. But to me, that's then someone that's just living on an acreage property because they want to say, oh, I've got two acres and I live on an acreage property. You know, it's different to saying I live on you know this property and I'm self sufficient and I can do all these different things and I can manage myself in the best way. Do you get what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. A friend of mine just picked up like last like this week last weekend something like that she just picked up two draft horses and Mm -hmm. um recently went to like firm like estate sale type of thing and picked up tons of old equipment in case Mm -hmm. stuff doesn't work but you know you also bring up a good point on like exposing the horse which is like it could be a valuable valuable tool you know you know, let, let's take, for example, the horses are like near the, like at the, at the properties near me, right? They just stand there They're like, oh, my car doesn't work. So, or like nobody's cars work, whatever. We get hit by an EMP. Something's like totally not yeah. going to happen, but whatever. Let's just play along. Yeah. You get hit by an EMP. Oh, just, I'll just drive my horse around. Well, have you yeah. ever ridden your horse before? Has your horse mm-hmm. ever been on pavement before? Has it left that property? Has it like what's it gonna do? Like it if it does see a truck or a That's tractor right. or um gets spooked by something, like it, it something, just anything. stops running, yeah. like yeah. you know, has has it even had a saddle on it? Um mm-hmm. has it been prepared to have a harness on it to move that log or debris yeah. or whatever no okay yeah. well then your horse is more of a liability and that's right yeah so yep. that's exactly no, that totally right makes, makes sense even with dogs like even with dogs like we've got two dobermans and a staffy and they're good dogs and they'll come up and give you a cuddle and a kiss and lick you all over the face and you can give them a pat but the, the little staffy particularly she's very clever she came from a family that sort of you know there was a little bit of trauma and, and that kind of thing. So anyway, she came to our place and was didn't have a lot of confidence. And so my whole goal has been building up her confidence because if I go outside at nine o'clock at night after the rain, there's likely going to be a snake. There's likely going to be a snake, a brown snake, mm. a whip snake, a green tree snake, or a carpet python or a red belly black, right? So out of I like those... how you just like... <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. It could be, so, yeah, it could be this, 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 And the thing is, if I'm walking around at night and it's dark and, and my little torch isn't working or it's or it's dim or whatever it might be, and that snake walks past me or I'm going to the horse's yard and the snake goes past me, I do not want to think, oh, my God, wait here, snake. I'm going to go and get my, you know, whatever, shovel, shotgun, whatever. You just don't move and come back. So I want her to be able to like, wait a minute, this is in front of me. This is not supposed to be here. Get it. She's not going to die from it. She's going to kill it, most likely. And I'm not saying I want to kill the animals. But at the end of the day, if it's my life or its life and that thing could kill me, well, I want to be the one that's on top. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's, it's about, you know, teaching them as well not to be scared. If there is a critter or something that's coming past, you need to bark at it. You need to sound the alarm. You need to let me know what's going on so that I can deal with it. 
so to speak. So that's what we try and do. Like on our property, we that's what we try and do. We try and make it so that everybody is as resilient as each other and everybody can get involved and live their life in a safe way collaboratively, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's a lot of work to raise the skill set of everyone and every animal on the property. Yeah. That's a lot of work. Yeah, it People is. People probably it... don't think about that. I mean, like, again, if it, if all the training and, um, you know, preparedness, you know, mindset and uh, skill set aren't all being raised up, that one that isn't being raised is now a liability. That's right. That's right. And and I think that, you know, like we do that all the time. Like, you know, even if you if something's happening and, you, and you're going to the store and you think, oh, I don't need anything. Oh, but, you know, this item that I can store for a long time, it's not special this week. I'll just pick up a couple of bags. I'll get a little oh, bit yeah. of extra rice. I'll get a little bit of extra tinned mushroom or whatever it might be. It's not going to hurt you know, to have that sitting there, you know, if by any chance nothing happens in six months, okay, we'll start using it, rotate it out of your pantry, that kind of thing. But there's no harm in saying, oh, you know what, I'll just, I'll just grab a few things. Like obviously when certain things happen that we're currently going through right now, friends of ours were an older couple and they were away, they were on a cruise ship away. And it was like the beginning of March. And I thought, and they were supposed to be going for like a month all around Australia. And I thought, oh, you know, they're older, you know, by the time they come back from this cruise and this, and, and like it was weird because I was supposed to land in Sydney and then drive all the way back. It was like bizarre. And I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll just go to the store and I'll just get them some toilet paper and I'll just get them some tuna and, yeah. you know, tin sardines, just rice, just that kind of stuff because that was before anything sort of went haywire. And I was like, I'll just get it. And then, you know, I'd, you know, be out in town or whatever. And I'd go, oh, I'm here. I'll just pick up a little bit more, you know, and not because of anything, not because of, of, you know, anything was happening, but it was more me going, yeah, things seem a bit strange and I'm, I'm just going to make sure I'm ready. So of course, a few weeks later, shit hit the fan. They're coming back. They managed to get off the cruise in Sydney and drive back, but then they couldn't go to the shops. Suddenly they said, no, no one can go to the shops. You can. Only this was this early 2020. Early 2020. Yep. Can't okay. do this. So, can't so do that. you had your antennas up. Like, mm-hmm. this is, hmm. That's from smart. December. That's... From December 2019, oh. I had my antennas up. And so I had been, I mean, I had already had stuff going, but I kept, I just kept buying a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And then March came. They, they suddenly have to dock from this cruise ship in Sydney. Now, Sydney to Brisbane, the, the main city where we are, like in Queensland, that's about mm-hmm. an eight hour drive in one go. And, they had to rent a car that they could leave at Brisbane Airport, you know, so that they could travel up here and not have to return it, obviously, because they didn't want to go on the planes, they didn't want to go on a bus, you know, and they thought, oh, shit, what are we going to do? So we, you know, we called them and we said, are you coming home? Yeah, we're coming home. So I had a bootload of stuff, all of this stuff, and they said, oh, my God, what's this? And I said, well, we don't know what's happening. We don't know what's happening. And it's just best that you have this. You're an older couple. If anything happens to you, you're going to have a lot more issue than us, we're a lot younger. So how about you just let us take care of the, the shopping and that kind of thing and you don't have to worry about it. And afterwards they said, we don't realise actually how much that meant um, to us just knowing that you had that preparation in the background. Sure. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's. I think it just pays off. And I think if you're in that mindset and you live that, that way all the time, I think you always have them in the back of your head, right? You're always sure. just thinking, oh, I'll just I'll just get this or I'll just get that or, you know, I'll just be prepared a little bit more. 
you are definitely like your mindset is so far above other people's like like sometimes they're like they're only worried about themselves and then if they're a better person i guess they're worried about themselves and their partner and then them their partner and their kids and then their family so then like but you you're going like out to even like your neighbors and you know you just you're that's that's awesome i love that yeah 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 and i mean everyone knew they could come here and there'd be a garden full of veggies worst case scenario we'll eat you know vegetarian chili you know like it's not gonna matter like we've got enough stuff here or worst case scenario we'll we'll have to you know change one of the layer hens for a meat hen you know like there's there's always something that you can do to protect yourself and to make sure that you survive um and so yeah i just think that that's something if once you get into the habit of having that all the time in in the back of your head i think it just makes life a lot easier and stress-free as well agreed Um, absolutely yeah yeah so other than being prepared yeah uh, for 12 months uh (laughs) what what have you tried that has worked well? Like um, like a gardening mm-hmm. technique or um, like, hey, if I plant three onions to a pot uh, versus two, I get that just does better or failing. I don't know. Yeah. So <laughs> this is funny because you said not prepared, but this is kind of being prepared. <laughs> Whenever you start your seeds, always start more. Whenever you're doing any seed starting and make sure sure you, you know, so number one, start more. Don't, don't think, oh, I'm only going to have two onions for this whole season. Do 10 because out of that 10, maybe only eight germinate. And of that eight, maybe only five survive when you transplant them into the garden. So you've already reduced the amount that you have available to you from the way that you started to what you're doing when you're transplanting into your garden. So always just, just do 10. Or if you wanted to plant five, do 10, do 20. It doesn't matter, whatever it is. If you have more, you have more. You, you'll do something right. with it. But that's my tip in terms of seed starting. Always, always have more than what you think. Always uh, like understand where you are, understand your season, understand your environment, and buy the seeds that are going to be for your environment. Or if you can get saved seeds from someone, get it from someone that lives in your area because those seeds and those vegetables or fruits, whatever they might be, are already acclimatized to your climate in your area. You know, if my dad, who's in, who's in the South of Australia, sends me something up here, number one, it might not germinate and work because the heat's going from a cold environment to a subtropical environment. So, you know, make sure that you get involved, whether it's like a community group or, I mean, these days you can find Facebook groups for everything, right? You know, so Mm -hmm. get, try and get involved uh, in a community group where you can get seeds um, that are for your area. So that's that's my two most important things when it comes to starting seeds. Uh, and also understanding the temperature of your outside, the temperature of your greenhouse and the temperature of your soil because sometimes they don't all match up. So the temperature right. of the soil might be warm, but then the outside air within the greenhouse might be warmer than the air that's actually out of the greenhouse. So you have to be able to understand because that might actually kill your seeds or it might make them leggy or it might create moisture and mold on top of the soil. So try and, you know, make sure that you understand the differences. You know, if it means starting everything inside and putting it on your window ledge in the kitchen, 
then that's what you do. Or if it means, you know, taking them out every day and getting them acclimatized to the weather before you plant them, that's what you do. So I think that in terms of when it comes to garden and that kind of thing, that is the most important. Um, I think when it comes to like a little bit more broadly, if you're looking at like your your uh, raised meats and that kind of thing, you've you've still kind of got to apply the same process. You've got to understand like whether the grass or the loosen or hay or whatever it is that you're feeding them is something that's readily available, that it's nutrient dense, that you're not going to have to add additional um, things to, to make sure that that, you know, protein source basically is a viable source that's going to give you everything you need once you, once you get to the other end of the, of the process. So I think that that's the most important part. Um, I think having the foundation is always the most important part, you know, so that'll be like right. your soil, your grass, your all that kind of stuff. That's always got to be the best that it can be, best quality it could be, because that's how you're going to get the best vegetables. You know, if you've got a really nutrient dense garden and you've got some good manure in there and green manure and hay and this and that and the other and, and some biochar and you've done all that kind of stuff, then you're going to have something that performs all the time year round without having to till all the time, without having to work the soil, that kind of thing. So I think that that's probably the most important for anyone, uh, especially if you're starting off in gardening or doing anything like that. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. As far for the seeds, the seed part. So I wild foraged within this within this big city of uh, that we that we live close to. I suppose I I took a bunch of honey locust pods and mm. I I germinated them the way that was recommended to me like i did some research and it's like blah, blah blah did the process and i shot like a little yeah. video about it or whatever i probably had 150 seeds mm -hmm. that i that i uh attempted to start and right now i have 25 growing mm -hmm. 25 mm -hmm. out of 150 and it grows here like yeah. i got it from like 35 miles away i guess like yeah. it's not that far and it's like they just i did did everything i was supposed to and just i mean that's not a very good rate of return the other thing mm -hmm. uh it reminded me of was uh your your soil temperatures mm -hmm. and air temperatures there was uh our our last frost date here is like first week of june i want to say like mm -hmm. june june 7th probably mm -hmm. and a couple of years ago, we got some warm, like, like let's say the end of May uh, was probably like in the 70s or something like that. It would be mm -hmm. been like kind of cold and raining, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, it was just like, nice for like a whole, whole week. And so everybody around here, you could tell like they were like planting in their garden. <laughs> Guess what happened the following week? we got snow. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, ha ha. <laughs> yeah. Pay attention yep. to that last date. Cause like my wife was like, well, should we, we should we be planting? I'm like, not yet. No, <laughs> not yet. It's there's a reason there's a last frost date. There's because yeah, of the potential and, to, and uh, that's the to issue. freeze or snow or. Yeah. And that's the issue I'm kind of finding this year with the garden because all the weather forecasts have said that La Nina is going to keep going for the rest of the year. And so it's May now and we're not supposed to have rain at all. Um, it's supposed to be a lot drier. There's not supposed to be any green grass anywhere. And yet Dang. we've got, yeah, we've got yeah, from yesterday till another five days, so six days in totals, they forecast 10 months worth of rain. We already got 
three flood watch warnings on Friday. Um, yeah. And, and, and you're sitting there and you're going, but this doesn't make any sense. It's also unusually slightly warmer, just slightly warmer. Like at this point in time, even though it's a subtropical area, the winter gets cold. Like, you know, you can wear a long sleeve top or a hoodie or whatever it might be and, and pants. You know, now it's because it's just that slightly little bit warmer and slightly little bit humid. Uh, you know, you're wearing a T-shirt and you'll just start sweating. So the weather is particularly unusual this mm. year because of La Nina. And I think that that's having an impact on the garden because at the moment I've got an issue with the garden with this voracious little rat who's going in there and eating all my habaneros. That's the only thing I've got left in there growing. Uh, and there's a lot of flies that are coming up in the in the garden, which is I don't know why. So I haven't mm. I haven't done any autumn planting yet just because I don't know what's happening with the garden. Something Something is happening and I think it's because of, you know, external weather issues sure okay so what have you tried that failed or hasn't worked well for you hmm. roosters i don't like roosters why is that I, because i i get very upset when they get ravenous with my hens mm. and even though i know it's you know nature life nature I absolutely hate them, so I refuse to have them. Um, and I haven't had much success with um, starting my own or hatching my own little baby hens at this point in time. So hmm. it could just be as well because, to be honest, I'm, I really haven't put in a lot of effort. I've kind of done a little, a little bit like, oh, yeah, that'll do. You know, like this is kind of 80% okay, that'll do. But I haven't had much success with that. So that's why I have geese at the moment because the geese protect the whole flock <laughs> and I don't have to have a rooster and that's because I don't like roosters. Um, but I know I will have to eventually have a very nice rooster. And I did have a very nice rooster and he got killed by a wedge-tailed eagle a few years ago. And so, oh, geez. I, yeah, got, I actually thought the way that it died, the way he died, I actually thought he got shot with it like a shotgun because it was sort of small and then a big big hole at the back and i thought oh my God, i want to look up what these things are called what's it it's a what wedge, eagle wedge tailed wedge tailed eagle yeah and i thought oh my god someone shot my rooster and i went in the back and i picked it up and i thought oh this is weird anyway oh, a couple whoa, of days those past, things are huge. huge huge you can see them from the sky like when they're circling around they tend to stick to a particular area because they'll know that there's they can get stuff from there and then anyway a few days passed and I had this white chicken and I think three orange colored chickens. Um, this was a couple of years ago. And anyway, I went into the paddock and I see this like dark, just thing, huge, as tall as the gate, like as tall as a farm gate. And I thought, what on earth is that? You know, like it's not one of the dogs. It's not, you know, nothing. What on earth is that? Anyway, I, I started walking really slowly towards it because I didn't know what it was. Like maybe it was a, a wild cat or a fox or something, you know, that was sprawled along the length of the gate. I thought, what is that? Anyway, as I approach, open the gate slowly, it just opened up its wings, like just opened them. And it was like two meters, like the span. It was huge. And all I heard was like, <laughs> you know, the sound, you know, as, as he's like airborne and he just lifted himself up and up with a couple of flaps. He was in the top of the trees. And he had these two little crows that were his gang members. And he went up into the thing. And I thought, oh, no, that's what killed my rooster. And then I looked, mm. went into the paddock and he had decapitated my hen, the white hen. He just took her head oh off. Oh, my god! And it was 
Yeah, it was only connected by the um, like it, it was like some kind of a tendon or esophagus or something. That's all it was connected to the body. It was wild. Yuck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let let me see if uh, I I found a little comparison for uh, my American listeners, and let's see if you can. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to share this. Right <laughs> let's see if I can pull this up. Come on, hide hide the bookmark bar. Let's see here. Share, share screen. Here we go. Share. And can I go full screen? I don't know how to do that. Whatever. Close oh, enough. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So American bald eagle, one of the smallest eagles in the world. Australian wedge tail eagle, one of the largest <laughs> eagles in the world. American bald eagle eats only fish. Wedge tail eagle hunts large mammals, including kangaroos. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can pick off Joey. Serious? Mm-hmm. Holy mm-hmm. smokes! Okay, so Joey's mm-hmm. not like a full size, like four hundred pound kangaroo or whatever. No, not the big daddios. No, it won't, it won't go for. It might try and peck the one of those, daddios. but it wouldn't be able to pick it like pick it up because they, you know, they'll pick things up with their claws. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> basically, a glorified a bald eagle. Basically, a glorified seagull. Australian wedge-tail eagle can see infrared and ultraviolet. Only eagle in the world that attacks parachuters uh-huh. and paragliders. That's uh-huh. crazy. Yeah, there's a a mountain top. It's about forty minutes away from us. It's called Mount Tambourine, and they have a lot of paragliders that go up there. They climb to the very top of the mountain. And there's this beautiful, clear gully, and they can propel themselves off there and you know parachute and and go down. And they end up in these beautiful farmland and there's a big sign a warning sign there that says like be careful with the wedge tailed eagles yeah they're that's wild crazy. They're... <laughs> we that call them wedgies. So wedgies wedgies <laughs> that <laughs> we, means something know, different here the undies yeah yeah it's, okay yeah 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 that's what we call you. them you, you look hilarious. up oh there's a wedgie go go inside yeah that's yeah yeah hilarious. and even small dogs they'll pick off small dogs and and cats they're, wow yeah. yeah yeah that does happen um like with bald eagles here, like small dogs and small cats. It's not like, you know, it's, and it's not often, um, but are they, are they protected? The wedgies? Oh, well, you, you wouldn't be able to shoot it or anything. Um, no, basically. No, no, no. If I think, I, I don't know necessarily what the protection status is, but I think you'd get into a lot of strife. Um, same oh, with snakes, okay. technically not allowed to, but that's where you just, with your shovel, the dangerous ones. <laughs> sure. I got gotcha. you. Nice okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't want some environment. Not, not the nice like... one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the nice ones. Um. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I I totally forgot what we were talking about before we got talking about eagles, but Wild that was Australian that's animals. such a huge that's that was that's a very fun fact. When I was um, mm-hmm. this is another tangent. Since we're already lost, anyways, whatever. <laughs> uh, when I was. I don't know, elementary school, I guess, like fourth grade, fifth grade. I was like obsessed with uh, birds of prey and like raptors and stuff. And Mm -hmm. so my mom took me to like the uh, raptor center, wherever we lived. And, you know, they did like their little showmanship, like had the eagle fly around and grab something and Mm. hawks and all these things. And so um, this is kind of like a fun little like, oh, yeah, eagles are cool. like kind of like a throwback like like yeah bald eagles are cool but wedge yeah. tail are way awesome wedgies wedgies wedgies, wedgies are full on yep yep 
I'll teach you some Australian slang. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll have to come visit. We'll, I'll bring my whole family down and uh, we'll just come visit. And then I'll just start talking Australian by the time I get yes. back to the States. You will. You'll come back and you'll be like, no worries, mate. And everyone will go, what? What is he saying? What? What? You got funny looking chooks. They'll be like, what? What's a chook? Oh, don't be a buff head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just, true. Uh, just a book. The book of uh, <laughs> like uh, uh, translations and stuff. Yes. Yes. So, not a bad idea. Oh, uh, so to bring this back on track, uh, What's been the biggest challenge in homesteading that you faced? Um, I think before that story that I was telling you about, um, like when we had that big flood and I was by myself and all that kind of thing. Um, I think that that is, that's always a challenge. Like doesn't matter how many times you do it, doesn't matter how many, how prepared you are for, you know, there's still a lot of apprehension when there's a big weather event coming. And like we said before, you know, the weather events that we have here are wild, like they're wild. Yeah. So when they're coming, um, you know, you've just got this, you just think, oh, here we go, here we go, here we go. Um, you know, I've, I've got to be turned on for this. Like I've got to be switched. I've got to be ready to go because anything can happen, you know. We haven't had to be evacuated yet, like because of a weather event, but that's always in the back of your head, you know, that you're going to have to be evacuated. Where are you going to put your hens? Where are you going to put your ducks? Where are you going to put your, you know, your horse, your cow, your this and your that? Um, and thankfully we live in communities and areas, I suppose, that they're kind of used to that. Like, you know where you can go if you get inundated with water, where you can take your horse or you know who you can call, who can come and pick up your other animals or whatever it might be. So I think that that's the challenge, like in terms of, I suppose, physically or something that impacts your day to day. I think the next challenge probably will be the difference between the people that are genuine homesteaders that, um, you know, homestead because that's the lifestyle that they want to live. Like I consider homesteading a, like a, a lifestyle ideology like you can have every you know someone that just let's say cans their own food and grows their own veggies and then you'll have someone that's like on the other completely other side who's like ready for you know anything can happen they've got a bunker they've got this they've got that you know so I don't think that it's like that you can you can only have these five skills and that makes you a homesteader I think that it's a spectrum you know you've got any any level of involvement in any of these different things and you can pick and choose you can be like oh I like canning so I'm going to can but I like you know, I want to be able to know how to shoot something. So I've got this skill and I want to be able to know how to hunt. And I've got this skill. I want to be able to know how to, you know, skin a carcass, or whatever, you know, so you've got all these different skills. Right. So one thing that I think that's going to emerge is that there's going to be a lot more people that don't actually subscribe to the ideology and the lifestyle. And they just want to live on, on the big property and have the ornamental animals and, you know, not really do anything else. And I think that, like, I don't want to call it like fake homesteaders, but it kind of feels a little bit like that. Like people that are only, that, that don't actually subscribe to the lifestyle the way that other people do. And I think trying to find genuine homesteaders, like with genuine skills, is going to be harder in the future. Because I also think that homesteading should be a collaborative measure. And I think that particularly if you get into a good community, a good homesteading community, that's a community that should be able to help each other and that should be able to share their skills, you know? So, you know, I might not know how to, you know, take the skin off a hunted animal, but you might know, you know, and that's something that I can be like, okay, Matt can teach me or until I learn, Matt can take care of that, but I'll sure. do all the egg collection, you know, like, or I'll provide all the vegetables in the winter, whatever it might be. So 
like I think that there's a bigger opportunity for cooperation between homesteading communities and I think that that's potentially going to weed out the legitimate and the not really so legitimate homesteading communities um, but I think that genuinely people that are homesteaders have such an important set of skills whatever it might be however they've learnt them whether it's an inherited skill whether it's generationally learnt whether it's something they've taught themselves I think that that's a really really important um, I suppose like lifestyle and skills that they're going to continue to adhere to and so I think that like I suppose I, I suppose you could call it ideologically I think that's where there will be a little bit of a change as well because you're going to have, especially all those people that that moved out. I don't know if it happened over there, but here the, the minute they said everyone's working from home, people would were selling up in the metropolitan areas and the cities and going out and buying these properties in the country. Same. And then, you know, that it was all working from home, working from home. Now they're saying, no, 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 everyone has to come back. So these people are like, well, what am I going to do now? And they don't have a skill to run a, a farm, whether it's a big agricultural farm, whether it's a hobby farm, whether it's just enough to supplement them not having to work a job, you know, like sell eggs, make soap, do this, do that, you know, whatever it might be that you can supplement your lifestyle so you can live in your homestead, they don't have those skills and they don't want to learn them. They just want it to be out there in the bush and, you know, have their peace and quiet. So I think that that's, there will be a little bit of that coming up where you will have like the genuine people that want to still be involved and not. But I think that the people that are true homesteaders, if they continue their truth and live their truth and continue doing things the way that they do, I think that they will be fine. And I think that they'll be able to continue to live their lives the way that they want without judgment. I think sometimes if you say you're a homesteader, particularly here as well, because they're a bit funny about if you say you're a homesteader, they're like, are you, you know, they sort of look at it like you're different to other people. Um, But I I think I'd rather be kind of like, why? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. that. Like, Like, um, you know, I'm a homesteader. Yeah. Why are you a homesteader? That's right. That's right. You know, like, what do you achieve? Like, you can just go to the shop and buy, you know, tinned corn, or you can. There's just a go little to the bit of a stigma, buy- like, yeah. Um, there's a little bit of a stigma here too. Like, oh, I'm so glad that I spent the last four months growing these tomatoes and saved myself three ninety nine when I could have just went to the store. Like, there's there's a little bit yeah. of an attitude like that, but. You know, those people, they're, they just, we, for the most part, we just write them off like as like, yeah. uh, like a community, just like, if, if that's your attitude, you don't get it. Like, yeah, you just don't get it. And that's right. like, that's right. Like when you're ready, we'll help you. Cause like that's right. the thing that, that I've noticed the most in doing these interviews, people in like they just love helping other people. They want to share all the knowledge that they can. They want to, you know, be there like physically if they can, like, Hey, let me help you. Um, It's really, really crazy. that. um, I mean, if if we didn't have our neighbors living where we live, we'd be buggered because our neighbors are sometimes our first port of call before the SES, before the fire brigade, before the police, before anybody can come out to help you before the snake catcher, because some areas have snake catchers. Um, you know, if, if my husband's away and working and there's a giganto snake and I'm terrified and he can't get to me, guess who I'm calling? I'm calling my neighbor and being like, Hey, please help. I don't care what you do, but please help. There's a big snake and I'm scared, you know, sure. whatever it might be. So, and not just that, but like my, my thing is like your neighbors are your best spies. Like they are the best oh, spies. Yeah. They are so observant 
They know everything. Our neighbours over the road, even though we don't necessarily talk to them, I mean, when I mean over the road, like they're 10, 20 acres away, right? But they're still over the road. But they will know, oh, wait a minute, that car is not the post van and that that's not a regular delivery that they get. And I've never seen that car there before. Mm-hmm. And within a few seconds, you're getting a message, hey, are you is everything okay? Are you all good? Do you need someone to come there? Do you need someone to be with you? Is everything okay? And most often you're just saying, oh, yeah, I've just sold something on FB Marketplace or whatever it might be. I'm fine. I've sold something on the, on the, on the advert or whatever it might be. But, you know, people keep a genuine eye out for you and your property and, you know, your animals. You know, if they know that you're not going to be there or something's happened and you're in an emergency and they need to come and take care of your horse or whatever it might be, they'll come and do that and there's no questions asked. So right. I think that that, you know, that that makes a huge difference. And like, I'd rather be part of a community that's like that, that I know I can rely on than one that's going to judge me for, you know, whether it takes me two days to make my sourdough or whether I go to the bakery to buy my sourdough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a little bit of that here, which I'm hoping doesn't stay around for long. Same. The, yeah. Yeah. Like the the guy across the street, I call him the, uh, the one man neighborhood watch because he's so <laughs> I, I said it to his face too and he laughed um but like it it used to coming from the suburbs right like mm. i'm not from montana i'm from uh you know minneapolis so it's just like uh it's like a big metropolitan yeah. crap hole <laughs> these days but uh so so i just wasn't used to it and it was kind of annoying at first, but like now that like, oh, I know that he's watching. Like I know mm-hmm. not like weird, it, it like no. let's not get weird, but it's just like um given how crazy things are lately, um, especially in the cities, mm-hmm. like why would you not want that like mm-hmm. kind of vigilance from your neighbors? Yes. Like you like you can only do so much on your own. Like community is where it's at. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think that more of that will happen um, as, as you know, homesteading continues to evolve. I think it's one of those things that is potentially here anyway, is kind of evolving. I think there was always, there was always homesteaders, right? But I think that they, they didn't really want to be vocal about it because they'd be the kooky ones, you know, like they'd be the people that would be looked at as the fringe members or the ones that are a little Mm -hmm. bit strange and they live a little bit strange and they have these weird ideas about life. But I think that that gap has narrowed somewhat because I think that there is more homesteaders that are being quite vocal about the fact that they're homesteaders, you know, and they have no, they're not afraid to say, yeah, I'm a homesteader and I do this and I do that. And I hope that that continues because I think that will be really, really important for the community. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh it's an easy way to connect. Like uh we're going to some something for Mother's Day tomorrow. It's like um kind of like a farmers market, makers market mm-hmm. kind of thing and my wife was like, "Hey, you should bring our business cards so you can, you know, maybe yes. do some more uh interviews and have more connections and whatnot." Um yeah. people that just want to talk to you about homesteading and making yeah. stuff and Yep. whatever. So, um, yeah. I thought, Hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, Just leave your card strategically, you know, at this booth and this booth. <laughs> yeah. Right. Contact Matt for podcast interviews. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think we should do? Uh, 
so you you mentioned uh traditional skills yeah what what are some traditional skills that you think we should all have all of them all of them all everyone should all have all traditional skills i mean you know things like bushcrafting and stuff some people just won't have the ability to bushcraft you know you um, mean just probably... like kind of making a shelter from uh, yeah. natural materials like in the yeah. woods kind of like that yeah, like, YouTube i probably would up like yeah, um, yeah, you... oh what wasn't he in australia which who oh the man, guy I... oh i'm I forgot, I forgot his name. Primal, primal something. Oh, oh yeah. I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's actually in Queensland, I think. Really? That guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere in, um, in tropical Queensland, like north, north of where we are. Um, I mean, that stuff is, that stuff I think is more for people that really want to live that lifestyle, right? Like you, if you want to be able to be like, yeah, I'm going out into the bush for a month and I'm just going to live on my, you know, what I'm going to hunt and shoot and fish and whatever, I'm going to do that and I'm going to build my own shelter and blah, 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 right? I think that that's like, that's amazing. But I think that you have to be a certain person to do that. But I think, right. I think like any, basically any homesteading skill, like at the moment, like I remember I said to you, my, my grandmother's 95 years old and she is brilliant. But if I say to her, can you give me your famous bread recipe or your famous pastry recipe or whatever it might be, she mm-hmm. can't tell you, she'll say, put this much, put this much flour, put this much water, put, and I'm saying, how, what, how much is that? Is that a cup? Is that a metric cup? Is it an empirical? How much is that? Is it 250 mil, 250 grams? How much? And so I think that there's a lot of skill and knowledge in our older generations that we're going to lose that we just don't have. So, you know, my grandmother, for example, has never bought seeds. She's never bought seeds. Everything that she's grown, she's grown from other vegetables that she's got from someone in the you community. Know, you know, or- you say that and like – yeah now that makes a lot of sense like why would she why would she buy seeds never (laughs) ever bought seeds you know any of her fruits and vegetables i don't know like she just is just managed to find her way around so and then so she'd have this garden and then this garden would you know create all this food so then okay how am i going to store all this food because now i've got 10 kilos of tomatoes and i can only eat one in a sandwich, you know, what am I going to do with the rest? Okay, I'm going to make tomato, you know, pasta sauce, or I'm going to dehydrate that and make marinated, you know, like sun-dried tomatoes, mm-hmm. or I'm going to, like, I am cannot wait to get myself on a uh, freeze dryer. I'm looking at the harvest right, the freeze dryer, but the my only concern is because it's um, it would have to be imported from the US if I needed spare parts and stuff, it might be a little bit of a challenge for me, you know, to get spare parts. Sure. But I'm so into yeah, buy two, right? But I'm so they're into cheap, right? <laughs> well, no, no, they're expensive I'm kidding, by the time. I'm kidding. Do you know how much they would cost to bring it here? Well, oh uh, almost I eight thousand dollars. I was gonna I was gonna guess I could probably get one for three or four thousand dollars, but yeah. <laughs> About 8,000 and it takes months. And then I, I don't know if it gets converted over here or over there, but then they have to convert, you know, the power. It's like seven and a half, eight grand by the time. They're... Anyway, oh I know, I know, but I'm, I really want to get one. But do you know what I mean? Even or even having access to a machine like that where you can be like, okay, I've got 10 kilos of tomatoes. I'm going to, you know, freeze dry them and pulverize them and make, you know, stock or whatever it might be. So people don't have that skill. People don't have canning skills. People don't have, you know, skills even in terms of like planning and stockpiling. Um, they don't have skills in how to do multiple things with 
like one thing, like the tomatoes is an example, but you have so many vegetables that are like that, you know, that you can, you know, either either can them or, or preserve them in some way or store them mm-hmm. in a certain way so that, you know, when it does come down to it, you are not relying on the supermarket or the fruit shop or whatever it might be, but you are relying on your own stores from food that you've created yourself. Like my ultimate goal, and I'm slowly, slowly getting there, but my ultimate goal is that eventually my stockpile will be made up of the things that I've grown and the things that I've actually manufactured and and done myself. Um, So things like that, you know, things like my dad makes uh, all our bacon, uh, smoked bacon, smoked hocks, sausages, uh, pork neck. Um, He does venison as well. He does all of that stuff. And he basically has a smokehouse at, at his place and he does everything, pork belly, everything, everything, everything. So, this meat is the cleanest meat you can ever have. It's just cured in plain salt, not curing salt, not, you know, any preservatives, nothing. It's just for us, obviously, like it's not like my dad sells it or anything, but that skill is such an important skill. And I would love to learn that skill from my dad, you know, like, because that's something that he does and I don't know how to do it. I know in theory how to do it, but I I haven't actually gone through the steps and done it myself, you know? Um, So I think anything like that, I think, um, you know, even when it comes to like hunting and hunting your own food, or even if you're not hunting, if you're pasture raising, you know, chooks or pigs or whatever it might be, you know, learning how to process a carcass, learning what goes into, you know, getting that meat ready for your family to put in the freezer or, or, or that kind of thing. So all of those skills are skills that I think um, when convenience came in um, have gone. I actually saw a, um, an Instagram post the other day. And one of the one of the I'm paraphrasing, but one of the sort of pictures that that this profile that I was looking at had, it said something like, "We lost our skills when uh, we turned to convenience." And I think that mm-hmm. you know all of those things are so true. You know, like like I said before, you know, yeah, I could probably go to the bakery and spend five bucks and get a beautiful loaf of bread. Yep, that's great, but you know, and that'll take me a couple of minutes compared to it's going to take me two days by the time I fold my own sourdough, by the time I let it, you know ferment and then by the time I bake it that's a two-day process you know so you can't just go oh okay I want a piece of sourdough now you've got a plan for that two days ahead you're going to have a piece of sourdough for breakfast you know on the weekend or whatever it might be so I think that those skills are the ones that are dying out and I think that like when it comes to like my parents generation like my parents know those skills but then they migrated to Australia and then everything became push button and easy access and Mm -hmm. then they went why am I going to do, you know, why am I going to take two days to bake a loaf of bread, but I could just hop to the bakery and do it. Um, so that's what I think traditional skills are, like understanding why you need to ferment food, understanding why you need to can food, you know, understanding how you need to process food, store food, rotate food, you know, all that kind of stuff, processing carcasses, you know, hunting for them, whatever it might be. I think those skills are not, they're not taught enough. People are afraid of them. People are not being encouraged to learn those skills. Um, people are not being encouraged to understand and respect those skills. Um, and I think that that's, that's where generally as society we fall down because people that are relying on others for their safety, security, food, clothing, employment, whatever it might be, are the ones that are going to get swallowed up by the beast at the end of the day because they're not going to be able to have those skills, you know, to survive. Right. You know, like I mentioned, I mentioned that flood before. If I didn't know how to be resilient, if I didn't know how to implement a bunch of different things in the in in my plan, I wouldn't have survived four or five days with no electricity and no running water and all that kind of thing. But I did. 
I survived. And now I can look back at it and go, yeah, you know what? I'm super proud that I did that because it just proved that you can put me in any situation and I'll get out of it, you know, with, with the hair on my head still intact. So I think that those kinds of skills, even, even something simple as baking a loaf of bread, mm-hmm. even something as simple as baking a loaf of bread and understanding that process, even that's gone, you know? So I think that people need to just be more in tune and, and understand those processes a lot more and, and why we need them because they don't have them anymore. They don't have those skills anymore. And if it weren't for homesteaders running little workshops and getting together as a community to teach each other things, we'd lose them. The same as the generational information that we lose, that we're going to lose when our grandparents one day pass away and move on, you know? Agreed. I think it's, I think it's, it's a lot of mindset why people don't have these skills. Like it's scary to think about like, uh, and it's uncomfortable, you know, that you mean I might have no water Mm. or be able to use the bathroom or, you know, provide my own food for five days because I'm stuck in my house. Well, now that's, you know, like, and DoorDash can't get here. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, all, you know, like, what do I, what do I do? Like, well, you kind of should have thought about that at least four days ago. And, um, you know, (laughs) yeah. so like, because it's, because about the, about the convenience, like modern societies, like, way too like convenient but in our convenience we are so vulnerable like yeah it's 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 kind of the same thing about you know like privacy and security on Mm -hmm. your um inconvenience like on your phone let's say like i hate having like an android phone or whatever but it's maybe better than apple maybe not i don't know (laughs) they're probably in a tie but the the fact that I have a, like, a, it's just uncomfortable, but it's too convenient. And I'm honestly, like, I, I, I share files all the time. I take notes all the time. So, like, you know, it's just be like a learning curve to, like, you know, trying to switch um, how I operate, you know, day to day doing something other than using my smartphone and all of Google's crap for, you know, how I, how I basically do. Uh, run this thing so mm. um, and even it's, it's imagine the same with food. yeah even imagine like because my husband tried to do that a bit of a, an experiment he, he went and bought this phone cost him 30 bucks it was it was not connected to wi-fi not connected to the internet it was about this big it was literally mm-hmm. just phone calls and he said i'm gonna have a detox you know from social media from everything blah, blah, blah. And i was like okay great so <laughs> he was in the hardware store and he calls me up he said oh can you check you know, such and such thing, if it's cheaper on the internet than at the hardware store. So I was like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I was like, yeah, I'll check for you. So I check and then I send him like the link on his phone and he's like, calls me back. He's like, I can't access it. And I was like, why? He's like, it's not connected to the internet. I was like, oh, bugger. And he goes, oh, can you send me the such and such, the other hardware store? He's like, I'll call them and see if they've got it. I was like, yeah, okay. So again, I just, I did it on my phone and I sent it to him, but it sent it as a link, right? So he couldn't press the link and it didn't allow him to copy just copy the number without the link behind it like onto the phone he lasted three days and and he was like i can't do it he's like i need the map you know when i'm driving around you know he he often like checks for other bargains and deals you know as he's going he's like i literally couldn't do it i couldn't even detox for sort of three or four days because everything was either in a hyperlink or some other kind of thing and then i couldn't i couldn't work without it so 
sometimes like we're, we're stuck, like we're stuck in those scenarios where things like internet or phones or whatever it might be, we just can't do our work without that technology or we just can't sure. do it without that thing. But I think that what probably, and this is probably something that homesteaders just naturally do is you look at what you can change and, and you look at what you can't change. And if you have absolutely no ability to change something, move on, leave it as it is and go mm-hmm. and have an impact on the thing that you can change. And if the thing that you can impact and, and change is your food, your security, your self-sufficiency and your reliance, then do it, you know, because at least that way you'll know, well, you know, at least I'm prepared and I can, and I can do this, you know? Yeah. And you got to take your, the value of your time into that as well. Like mm. can't like, you know, that's like touching on political and that's intentional that I did that. Mm. But like, mm. that's, that's, uh, that's maybe a topic for another day, but, um, <laughs> but so I was going to ask you what traditional skills do you have, but I think it'd be a shorter list. If, uh, I asked you what traditional skills do you need to work on still? I need to learn how to skin a carcass and process a carcass because I don't know how to do that. Of I need what to- animal? Of any animal, whether it's deer oh, okay. or, or pig or cow. Um, chook I've done, but I haven't okay. done the other three. Um, and I would just feel more comfortable with myself. Uh, my dad so, has always done that. That's always been his thing. You know, he that's his thing. But I, I want to do it. Um, so that is definitely the skill that I have to work on. And it's something like to the point that I'm even p- potentially considering going and doing like a proper butchering uh, course, you know, like a, a short course or whatever it might be, just so I can learn that skill. Um, because I, I've sort of probably fumbled my way through some of it, um, but I think it's an important skill to have. And especially um, once we do get out onto our bigger property, uh, when we make that move, I would like to be able to to do that stuff myself. Um, so that's that's a skill I need to have, that I need to learn. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a, yeah. I mean, large game large game processing that's that's a good skill because that's all you know it can provide a lot of meat so it can especially like where we're looking to go um there's a lot of wild deer wild goat lots of kangaroos wild boar um and so Mm. even if you're not necessarily consuming that for yourself you've got you know raw meat for the dogs you know that you can can process and you know have that at least for your dogs so i think it's an important skill even if it's not feeding us it's going to save us some money and be able to feed the dogs and you know give them some some good quality raw food yeah yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. um wrapping up here what would you (laughs) there was a mosquito (laughs) (laughs) what would you tell people that wanted to get started homesteading just do it. Just start straight away. Don't be afraid of starting. Um, even if you think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this or um, I don't, I, I need to have X, Y, Z before I do this. I think that that's just procrastinating and delaying the process. Um, there's a lot of things that you'll learn based on your, you know, regional area where you are. You'll learn to do things the way that the locals do it, or you'll learn about you know, things specific, like locally specific to you, skills that you need to have or things that are, you know, for your area. Um, so I say just jump in feet first and don't be afraid to jump in. You know, like if you're, let's say, wanting to move from the suburbs to to a homestead property and, and it's daunting because it's a scenario like what we have where you're only connected to the electricity, let's say, and you're on town, you know, you're on your own tank water and that, well, 
do some research about it, read up about what it means to maintain, you know, such a thing and, you know, the properties that you look at, make sure that they have all the infrastructure ready to go, like the downpipes and the catch and the, you know, filters mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. So um, I, I think that just, just get into it basically, like just jump into it feet first because you will learn along the way and you'll also learn the way that's most appropriate for you. You know, so there's no point in learning about, you know, pigs if you're never going to have pigs on your farm. If you're, if you're only going to have chooks and ducks and geese, well, you need to learn about chooks and ducks and geese, you know. If you're going to be living in a property that's got a flood zone, you know, learn about, you know, what that means. You know, how often does it flood? Does How fast does the flood water move on? You know, where does it move to? What floods? You know, where do you get sandbags? How can you store things long term? You know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm not saying go into it blindly, do your research, do everything that you can, but just don't be afraid to take that next step, I suppose. Yeah. And it's not, it's not that bad to like learn as you go too. like, keep all those things yeah. in mind. Like I knew she, like for people listening, I knew, I know she just threw a bunch at you. Don't let that, Heaps. don't let that, uh, uh, like turn you off. But like, you know, like we talked about community, uh, earlier, you know, neighbors are a great resource too. Like, you know, mm -hmm. for where, it's probably similar to where you are, mm. where we live. People leave you alone. Yeah. Like, because they, they figured you moved out here because you want to be left alone. So yeah. if you want that community, reach out. And yeah, that's, that's been uh fantastic for us. Um, mm. You know, we've gotten, you know, not like, Mont like you know big help just you know every day like little things help yeah um just by giving away a couple dozen eggs every now and then you know like mm -hmm. hey chicken slate too much here you go here you go here you go and um that's just it's super simple then like people appreciate it so yeah absolutely and and you also don't know what what struggles people are potentially having you know like mm -hmm. maybe they've moved out or they're they're recently separated or something's happened in their life and maybe that, that, that carton of eggs is actually going to help feed them for a week. You know, like you, I, I think it's just being mindful of the fact that if you have an abundance, share it with others. Um, and I think that if people can get onto that mindset of, of sharing their wealth, their knowledge, their abundance, their skills, um, I think as a community, doesn't matter where we go, you know, like I could come to the US, I could go to Europe, I could go to New Zealand or, I mean, New Zealand's different because we're kind of, cousins but do you know what I mean like you know you could mm -hmm. go to any other place where there's other homesteaders and not feel like you're in such a you know bizarre space that you don't you can't find your feet you know that you know if, if you said mm -hmm. to me oh can you go saddle up that horse I'm not going to be like oh what's a saddle how do I do that you know or if I say to you hey can you go and you know till that yard you're not going to be like oh I don't know how to use this tool you know so I think it's it's a little bit of that as well like just you know, making sure that you've got everything that you need to be able to flourish for yourself, but but not being selfish and helping others flourish. Because as a community, right. we will pull each other up together. We're not going to pull each other up if we've got ego and selfishness and people that are just coming in and doing things for themselves. Those people tend to not stay around long anyway. Um, you know, they, they sort of mm -hmm. breeze through the community kind of thing. Um, but I think that if we can lift each other up, then it's better than, than not helping each other at all. Yeah. Well said. Perfectly yeah. said. Yeah. Uh, so do you want to tell people where they can find you, your Instagram and your YouTube? Yeah. And so it's, else? 
all the same names. So Life on Milo's Farm is on Instagram um, and the same uh, on Facebook. Uh, although I don't really use Facebook that often. I prefer Instagram. Uh, I've just recently um, fixed up my blog. So that's also lifeonmilosfarm.com and same name on YouTube, Life on Milo's Farm. I've been a little bit slack posting lately just because we've had so much crazy weather and, and all that kind of stuff. But I generally try and post each week um, and it's just, you know, homesteading projects, things that we're doing around um, if we're going to any events or anything like that. Um, we do that kind of stuff. So it's all over uh, Instagram predominantly. Uh, and then if you're interested in my homesteading business, which is a natural uh, artisan soap and natural skincare, that's called Homestead Soapery. Um, and they're all, nice. all the all the different links are, are within, you know, the, the uh, profiles. Um, so you, you'll find a link to, to one or the other in those profiles on Instagram. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. I'll have links for all your stuff in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. It's been wonderful chatting to you. Yes, it's been wonderful. I appreciate you uh, giving me the time to just uh, just BS and learn more about prepping and homesteading and uh, crazy, crazy life in Australia. You're very welcome. Maybe next time we can uh, we could do like more of like a walking one, a yeah, walking one. I can show you around the property. And if there's any wedgies, we'll <laughs> I can show you the wedgies. Duck and cover. <laughs> Duck and cover. <laughs> Well, uh, I appreciate everyone listening and uh, be sure to check out her Instagram and her YouTube and her website. So awesome. push, Thanks, push mate. See you away. next time. Yeah, <laughs> see you. Wow, what an interview. We could have talked for another couple hours. Beyond the bonus content is to be posted in the next few weeks. But thanks for watching, everyone. Please like, subscribe, and most importantly, share this video. Check out our website, farmhoplife.com. Sign up for our email list to be notified when new videos, interviews, and podcasts are available. On the website, you can read, watch, and listen to learn more about us and our mission. Go to farmhoplife.com and on the homepage, click About Us. You'll find a YouTube playlist for our What is Farm Hop Life series. There's a short version, which is about 60 to 100 second videos, and then the full length episodes, different playlists. So you can figure out which one you want you have time for you can email me anytime matt at farmhoplife.com i'm always looking for new people to interview if you'd like to come on to talk about homesteading farming food security homeschooling alternative building methods whatever you want to talk about pitch it to me at farmhoplife.com slash guest go feed yourself